Good evening. It's good to be back home again. <laughs> I feel like I keep saying that and then like I disappear for a while and then I come back and then I disappear for a while. But summer's over. Jocelyn starts school tomorrow. I did forget to mention a prayer request. Uh, Jocelyn got her permit today. So I need prayers and the, and the, um, the, the streets need prayer. The streets of New Albany and Ripley. But don't tell her I said that. She's not going to listen to this message. I already told her not to. So, um, but no, uh, I, I've been, just filling in the pulpit over at uh, at West Fraser Baptist up in Memphis area, and I, I was there for about I don't know five or six Sundays. And while I was doing that, I was kind of preaching through the Book of Philippians with them, not a verse by verse, but kind of a short, you know, four or five week study of the Book of Philippians. And so I want to share that uh, one of the messages that I did out of there. Uh, and so if you will take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter one, we're going to read twenty seven through thirty. Before I read that, though, give a quick overview on the book of Philippians. So Philippians was written by Paul. We know that. We know that it was written while he was in prison. We know that it was written because he was trying to encourage and um, push forward to Christ, the saints in Philippi. We know that one of the major players in the church there was a woman named Lydia. She was one of the first converts. That's in Acts chapter 16, so you guys can go back and... Uh, look that up. We won't go through that. I'll, I'll save Brother Kurt an hour or two tonight. I was going to try to put everything in about four hours, Kurt, but I got you for two tonight. Um, <clears throat> I just like to give him junk because I know he doesn't want to be here for that long. But uh, um, but no. So and, and so that sister Lydia, she was she's a key player, and Paul talks about her often. Um, and and they're struggling. They're struggling because they're being oppressed by the Romans. Christianity is not popular in the, in the area of Philippi. And so maybe we could think about that today that the book of the, the, the book of Philippians can apply to us because slowly but surely Christianity is becoming unpopular here, even in America, right? Where we thought we could, being a Christian was going to be the coolest thing since a pocket on a shirt forever. But it's not anymore. Having Christian values and Christian morals, it's more than just standing out and being different from everybody, which is how it used to be. Even when I was in the military, I would say, oh, those guys are Christians. They go to church on Sunday. Good for them. Whatever. But we just wouldn't say anything or wouldn't tease them or we wouldn't harass on them or anything like that. Now you're getting harassed. Now you're getting, um, you know, people are hating you. But should we be surprised at that? Should we be surprised that we're being hated for Christ? I, I don't think we should because I think that Christ... Clearly he talks about that in scripture. And so the book of Philippians is a reminder to them of the truth of the gospel and a way forward in Christ, how to hope in Christ and how to live in a gospel kingdom here on earth. And so verse in chapter one, verses 27 through 30, in my opinion, again, you know, this is just one guy's opinion through my study through the book of Philippians over the last few months, which the Lord has really blessed me. And it's really become one of my favorites. James used to be my top. I think that'll always be my top just because I'm too loyal to change it. I can't do it. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. And even if Philippians did usurp it, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But Philippians is, 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 is up there now. And so verses 27 through 30. I really think that that's the thesis statement of the entire book. And so I want to share that with you now. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. So I want to talk about three areas, and if you take notes, you can write these three th things down. I'm going to say it in this order, head, heart, hand, um, but I'm not going to present them in that order because that's not how the logical flow of the, of the passage goes. So head, heart, and hand. And so I want us to see three three points uh, from, from, that, from that passage in Scripture. And point number one is this, that we have to be worthy citizens of the gospel. We have to be worthy citizens of the gospel. And we see that in verse 27, the first part of verse 27. It says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And so this is the heart of the gospel. <clears throat> this is the heart of gospel citizenship. The heart of gospel citizenship. And so the word only, Paul is making a very important point. He's not saying the gospel plus this, 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 and this. He's saying only the gospel, right? Only let your conversation, right? And the word conversation, that's just the manner of life, the way we live. When people see us and when people see what we're doing, that's what he's talking about right there. And so it, if Christ is our, is our all and we are living for the gospel, then our lives will be a direct representation of Jesus Christ in the gospel, right? And so we need to make sure that that's what we're portraying. So only portraying that part of the gospel. And then that word becometh is in there. And so I know these are three words. We've got only, we got conversation, and then we have becometh. And becometh is another way to say that manner worthy of. And we've heard Paul say that in five or six different places. And the one that I want to show you guys is, is uh, from Ephesians 4.1, and it says, you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So he mentions walking worthy Six other times in the New Testament. So only live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And as living citizens of the gospel, it means that we're ambassadors for Christ. We know that from 2 Corinthians 5.20. So everything that we do has to represent Christ. Everything that we are doing, whether we want it to or not, people are looking and if you're out there opening your mouth and saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm living in the gospel, and then you're doing something different, what do you think people are saying? They're saying hypocrite. They're saying pretender. They're saying fake. They're saying facade. And then they're getting a misrepresentation of the greatness and the glory of Christ. Our witness for Christ depends on how we live worthy of the calling and of the gospel. So that's the heart, the heart of the matter, right? What's in our heart. If it's in our heart to live, to glorify Christ, that's how we will live. We know that the heart is the center of every man. And if we are focused on Christ, that is who and what we will live for versus ourselves or the world or our job or our children or our belongings or anything else. So number one, we have to be worthy citizens of the gospel, worthy citizens of the gospel. Number two, we need to be courageous citizens of the gospel. Courageous citizens of the gospel. And so the second part of verse 27 and 28 say this. 
uh, starting at the second half of verse 27, that whether I come and see you or else be absent and may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. This is the hand of the gospel. This is the hand of the gospel. This is us actually doing something, living it out, taking the steps and doing physical things and how we live. Living worthy no matter what's happening or who's around or who's looking. I know when I was a Marine, and I know Nathan can, can attest to this, that when the bosses would come around, we would shine up the shop and we'd make everything look pretty. Our uniforms would look real nice. Everyone would go get a fresh haircut, even if it was on Tuesday morning and you just got one on Sunday. We'd make everything look good for him when he came around. So that way he would think we were squared away. And then when he would leave, we'd put our hands back in our pockets, which wasn't allowed. We would walk and drink, which wasn't allowed. We would let the trash can get too full and we wouldn't take out the trash, which wasn't allowed. But when he would come around, we would make sure that it looked different. And so living in the gospel as a courageous citizen, it's doing the right thing for the right reasons, no matter who is there, no matter who's looking. And that's what Paul's telling me. He said, even if I can't be there with you, remember the gospel. Remember to live courageously in the gospel. And then we see in verse 27, uh, the, the second half of verse 27 too, that he's reminding them to stand fast in one spirit. And he's also reminding them, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's being unified, being in unity. We're blessed, brothers and sisters. I'm I'm a young Christian. I've only been to uh, three or four churches now, but I've never seen unity like I've seen it at this church. We are blessed. We are blessed that we don't have the small things tearing us apart. I remember uh, somebody was telling me a story that a church split because of hats. Hats. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I don't know if you can say stupid from the pulpit, but I'm going to say it because it's just asinine that a church that's supposed to represent Jesus Christ would split over a hat. Stand fast in one spirit. Stand firm in the work of the Holy Spirit when he gave you new life and he indwelt you and he included you into the church. Be courageous. To be courageous, you also have to strive together for the faith of the gospel, working together as a team, united in the work of the gospel. What we do as a church here in this building bleeds over into our homes. It bleeds over into the community and so on and so on and so so forth, right into these bigger areas of life. And if we can't even get along in this building as members of the same church, what's going to happen when we go home? Heaven forbid, I'll use brother and sister Davis, for example. What if brother Davis wants to wear hats and sister Davis doesn't want to wear hats? And they go home and that's what they talk about. How is there going to be unity in their home? How is there going to be unity here in this church? Oh, brothers and sisters, hold on to the unity that we have in the gospel because the unifying person for us in the gospel is Jesus Christ and none of us are him. If we look to him, we will be unified. If we don't look to ourselves and our preferences and our own needs, wants, desires, we'll be unified in the gospel. Being courageous means we don't have to be terrified by our adversaries. Praise God. Praise God that Christ defeated our enemies on the cross and when he raised, when he was raised from the dead. That's it. 
He's on his throne and he's reigning. And nothing that anybody says or does can take him off that throne and stop his reign. And he is coming back, brothers and sisters. And as Brother Davis talked about tonight, there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on in the world. Maybe that time is soon. We don't know. But we need to be prepared for it. And we don't have to be afraid of what's happening in the world. If Taiwan shoots down China's planes or China shoots down Taiwan's planes because of such and such a person going to such and such a place, so be it. It's scary. I get it. But Christ is on the throne. You and I cannot remove him from the throne. What you and I can do is put other things on a throne and we can look to that throne instead of the one true throne and we can get misguided. And it's perdition for our enemies. What that word perdition, eternal damnation, hell. It's a real place. It's a real thing. And we all know, and I know that we all believe that. And for the unbeliever, that's what they, that's what they're going to have. But for us, it's salvation. What Christ did is salvation. The gospel, it's salvation. And we get that from God, not from anybody else, not from our job, not from who we are or what we are. It's because of whose we are. That's it. Whose we are. I have a friend, and when his children and his wife leave the house, he doesn't say to them, bye, I love you, and all those other sweet niceties that we all say to each other. He just says, remember whose you are. I love that. I want to steal it, but I can't copy people. So he thought of it first, so I guess he wins, right? But no, whose you are. And I do, I tell that to Jocelyn when I drop her off at school. I said, don't forget whose you are. I don't know if she hears me sometimes. I pray she does. She is pretty smart, but... You know, we don't know. Whose are we? Whose are we? So we're, if we're living as worthy citizens of the gospel, we're living as courageous citizens of the gospel. And number three, we're living as willing citizens of the gospel. And this is the head of gospel citizenship, the head. The what you know and how you use it. And the... And the the what you think about and the what you, the what you are willing to do because of what you know, not just knowing a bunch of stuff, because that just leads to legalism. It really does, brothers and sisters. You can know the Bible inside and out, and you can read all the Puritans, and you can read all the commentaries, and you can have the whole hymn book memorized, and you could be the most well-dressed individual when you walk in this building. But if you haven't decided to be willingly submissive to the king, you're always going to live for yourself and for your own preferences. So what are we willing to do? In verses 29 and 30, this is what we see. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to be, sorry, not only to believe on him. Notice those words, not only. Not only to believe on him, my favorite three-letter word of the Bible, but... Also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflicts which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Not only to believe in him, but to suffer. Nobody wants to hear that. I don't even want to say it. That's an uncomfortable thing for me to say standing up here. And I thought about it. When I was going through this passage to, to preach up at West Fraser, when I was going through it again to bring it to you here, but brothers and sisters, being comfortable is not 
the number one goal of being a Christian, is it? No, we have to suffer sometimes. The gospel and its accompanying grace are a free gift of God. We see that in Ephesians 2.8. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you right now, whether you can see it right now or not, and think about your life as, as you all have suffered from any point in time in your life until today. Some of you are suffering in this very moment. Some of you will start suffering tomorrow. Some of you will suffer your entire lives. I want you to hear me when I say this, and I mean it because I love you. Suffering is a gift of God. And it's a gift of God because it brings assurance of our unity in and with Jesus Christ. If he suffered, we're going to suffer. That's what he said. That's what the Bible says. That's not Robert. That's not Pastor Lewis. That's not any of y'all telling us anything that we don't know. We see that in Scripture. And people who don't see that in Scripture, they're not reading their Bible. Or they're being selective in what they read. They're reading the Bible verses that says, seek, ask, and knock, and it'll be yours. Everything is for you. God wants to bless you abundantly and give you a boat because it was raining last night. No. God calls us to suffer. There are women in this church who have lost children. There are men in this church who have lost children. There are men in this church who have lost friends. Women in this church who have lost friends. Some of us struggle financially. Some of us struggle with unpure thoughts. Some of us struggle and suffer with physical pain. But all of that is a gift. Because it causes us to look to the hope that we should have in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It takes self independency or uh, self-dependency away from us and it causes us to be fully dependent upon Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5 verse 41, this is what the apostles said after they were beaten. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his, Jesus' name. Raise your hand. I'm, I'm being serious. Raise your hand if you've ever been beaten for Jesus' name. Raise your hand if someone you love has ever been killed in front of you for the name of Jesus. Yeah, I can't raise my hand either. That, that's not me. That's not my life. But it happens. This, this last year at school, we had a mission-oriented uh, <clears throat> chapel, and they showed a video. I don't know why they showed this video. I'm actually glad they did. I didn't think a lot of people were going to be able to stomach it. And it was a man in India where a brother Isaac and brother Jonathan Pyle just went, and they, I, they might not have seen this there, but a man in India, they said, deny Jesus. And he said, no. And they turned him around and tied his hands to a tree, and they began to flog him. 2022. There are countries where you will get killed for professing the name of Jesus Christ and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But we don't have to worry about that here. What do we have to worry about? Oh, the world's not going the way I want it to. Ooh, suffering so hard. And we get discouraged 
And then we look away from the cross and we look over here to the political system or to the economic system or to our workplace or to our families. And we forget about the Christ who died for us to overcome the things that we're going through in the world. That's what he says in John 16.33. He says, these things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Because if it was left up to any of us, I would fail you. You would fail me. You would fail one another. Brother Lewis would fail us. It it would just be a big fail fest. None of us are Jesus Christ. None of us can get each other out of what we're in. We can walk through it with one another, though. That's what being a gospel citizen is about. So, brothers and sisters, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to be uncomfortable in this world when you're putting gas in your gas tank and you see the 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 dinger just keep going and going and going and going? It used to cost you $30 and now it costs you $80. When a pound of bacon, I mean, I remember, I swear to you, brothers and sisters, I, I'm going to make myself feel old here. But I remember when I was a kid, bacon was like a penny, I guess. I don't know. It wasn't really that cheap, but it was cheap. Now bacon's like $12 a pound. Now I want to go buy pigs because I think it would be cheaper and just grow them, and then I could kill my own pigs and have my own bacon. I'd share with you all if that's what you want. But, you know, I mean, $12 a pound for a pound of bacon, right? The guy that we don't want in office is in office. The people that we don't want to have control of the hill have control of the hill. Our borders aren't safe. Moms can't feed their children right now. A daughter, uh, a few, I don't, I know I talked to Abby about it because I was asking her for help about it. My daughter texted me one day in a frantic panic, like I've never heard from her before in my life. Dad, I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed Sawyer because there's no formula on the shelf. And the first thing that came to my mind was scripture. When Jesus said, that's how it's going to be. And so I reminded her. I don't know even I don't even know if my daughter's a believer, y'all. But that that was what came out of my mouth. It's gonna get harder. We have to suffer. We're going to suffer. I love you. I'm here for you. I will drive to Memphis and Oxford and Tupelo and Pontotoc and whatever other city is around here, and I will look for formula, but there are gonna be times when we suffer. And that's hard. We know that the Christian life's not going to be easy. That's why James says, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Not if, but when. And then at the end of verse 30, he says that Paul tells them that they're going to have the same conflict. Paul and the Philippians were in the same battle to live according to the gospel despite Roman opposition. They were called to live as worthy citizens of the gospel. They were called to live as courageous citizens of the gospel. And they were called to be willing citizens of the gospel. Are you worthy? Are you a worthy citizen of the gospel? Are you courageous? Are you a courageous citizen of the gospel? And are you a willing citizen of the gospel? Is it his will be done or your will be done? Because if it's your will be done, you're not walking in a manner worthy and you're not being courageous because you're about yourself. 
But if it's His will be done, then you're walking worthy, you're living courageously, and you're willing to be obedient and submissive to the King. When I was a Marine, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this small, small illustration, this story, and then I wanna give you guys some points of application to take home. When I was a Marine, we used to get told all the time, you represent the Marine Corps. Everything you do, it either brings good to the Marine Corps or it brings bad to the Marine Corps. And it was almost like we felt like the value of the Marine Corps is based off of you and you alone. <laughs> So that's a heavy burden to carry as you're walking around out in town and you're doing things and you start to think, at least it did for me, and I'm not saying I was perfect, guys, because I, I wasn't. You guys have heard my testimony, and uh, I, I was a fool by every means of that word, by, by every means of the definition. And so they would tell us, you represent the Marine Corps, and everything you do is either going to bring credit or discredit to the Marine Corps. So I heard that for 21 years straight, and I preached it to... My men for, you know, 17 years as I was a leader and, and, and had what we called liberty briefs, safety briefs before they went out into town or got off ship to go into another country to, to go have fun. And I remember one day we were all, it was about my third year in the Marine Corps. I just recently got promoted to some leadership position and I was, I was high on the hog. I was feeling really good about myself and I got the word, Hey, everybody needs to be to the meeting place, to the parking lot. We're going to have a big formation, which is a gathering of all the people. Uh, something happened and the battalion commander is upset. Okay. Well, if the battalion commander is upset, y'all, I don't know if you know what that means, but that means all of us should be upset too, even if we don't know why. Just be upset and show up. So we showed up, we got in formation, but this formation was different. They were bringing a desk out and his chair out and they were setting up some writing utensils and they marked a place on the deck for the other guy to walk up to. And I was thinking, man, what is going on here? This battalion commander moving his office to the quarter, like out to the, to the grinders, what we call the parking lot. And so they, they called us to attention, they took attendance and then they said, hey, this is what happened. Lance Corporal so-and-so messed up this week. And usually when you get punished, you get punished in the commanding officer's office. They call it office hours. It's not public. And, and they give you your punishment. You lose rank, you lose money, whatever the case, and then they send you on your way. <laughs> well, today they were doing it public. That day they were doing it public. I'd never seen this before in my life. And I'm not going to lie, there was a small part of me that was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be good. This is going to send fear into the people. All of us are, this is about, this is good order and discipline at its best, at its finest. So they get to the thing. I don't even remember what he did to this day, y'all. I, I was on my drive here for 30 minutes. I'm trying to think, what did he do? What did he do? So I could tell you because I, I don't remember. But it was so bad that after they read his punishment, they walked up, he, he was reduced in rank, they walked up and pulled his chevrons, his rank insignia, off of his shoulders, humiliating this man. And then they gave the command to us to do an about face. An about face is if I were to do this and spin around and turn my back on you. 500 United States Marines turned their back on one at the drop of a dime for bringing discredit upon the United States Marine Corps. 
We heard a van drive up while our backs were turned to him. We heard the door open. We heard the door close. We heard it drive off. They gave us the command about face. When we turned around, he was gone. They took him, his belongings, dropped him off at the gate and said, goodbye. That fast. Why do I tell you that story? Man, because that's a picture, right? Are you living gospel citizenship? When you stand before the king and he gets ready to judge you, will it be a Matthew 7, 21 to 23 moment where he says, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And he doesn't about face because light cannot dwell with darkness. So it has to be, you have to be in gospel citizenship and you have to do it with your head, your heart, and your hand. You have to do it willingly. You have to do it living worthy and you have to be courageous when you do it. If you have too much head, if you if you have too much thinking and too much knowledge and too much, um, you know, this, this rigid, strict adherence to the rules. And I'm not trying to tell you not to be obedient. Don't hear me say that. Listen to me say that you cannot be so rigid and so um, black and white that you can't see it for any other way and you, you can't hear people speaking into your life to point you in the right direction because your preferences and your way are all you know and all you want to hear. Can't do that. I told you earlier that that leads to legalism. That leads to you thinking you're right and everybody else is wrong. That leads to you implementing things and saying people should do this, this, and this. And if they don't, man, I don't even know if they're saved. And you can't have too much hand, right? You can't just be all action and have no willingness and no thought process that says I want to follow after the Lord and that you connect that to your heart and your heart says the Lord is what I desire you just show up to church and do all the the niceties you 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 serve the most you give the most you help the most too much hand is a Matthew 7 21 to 23 moment because you can't earn your way into heaven we don't, we don't believe and we don't operate in a works-based salvation, do we? Notice I say that I didn't mention the heart because you can't have too much heart. It's all heart. Your heart connects your head to your hands and your heart connects your hands to your heart to your head. It's all interconnected. You take away the heart and you have heads and hands. They're separated by millions of miles and they can't come together. If you don't desire after Jesus Christ and living worthily and willingly and courageously for the gospel, you will never do it. You will never act it out and live it out. You will never be willing to submit to him and be obedient to him and humble yourself under his hand. So here's what gospel citizenship requires. It requires us to trust in God. So in Philippians 1, 6, we see, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he, 
which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say being confident of the very thing that you which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ because you didn't do the good work. God did the good work. And that's what we need to trust in. We need to trust in God that He's going to finish what He started. And you can trust in God and know that He will finish what He started. You can trust in God that He will do what He says He will do. That He is who He says He is. And that's hard. It's hard when the world tells us opposite. It's hard when we see the world literally falling apart around us. Systems that are happening now that when I was growing up and Brother Green, not to pick on him because he's not the oldest guy here, but you know, when he was growing up, we would have never thought some of these things. And they're here. I have to be very attentive of what Jocelyn's taking in and taking and being a part of at school because I don't want her to get corrupted and to get this misconstrued view of what's real and what's not. And so that's hard. It's hard to trust in God. It's hard to rely on Him and to know God is who He says He is and He's going to do what He says He's going to do. And if He said He started a good work, then I know He started it. And if He says He's going to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ, that means Jesus Christ, when He comes back again, He's going to do it. We can trust in Him that He will not leave us high and dry. We are never alone. Praise God. Number two, gospel citizenship requires believers to grow. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always observed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have to obey the command to work out our salvation. And I got this out of a, um, I was looking up some things as I was studying this, and a guy uh, in a commentary said that that means a long obedience in the same direction. We're, we're moving towards God. And we're being obedient as we move towards God. Because as we do that, God is fulfilling Philippians 1.6 and finishing what He started by the process of sanctification. And we are growing and being intentional on our relationship with Him. And it's awesome because we don't have to rely on ourselves. Because verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you. Praise God, because if Robert was working in Robert, Robert would still be a drunk. Bottom line. Because that was what I enjoyed. That was where I was the most comfortable. It's not now, and it sounds almost foolish for me to say that, but I know me. And we have to be willing to work out that salvation with the tools that the Lord has provided for us. You've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it every sermon if I can. The four B's. You got to be in the Word. You got to be in prayer. You got to be in church. And you have to be in accountability. 
If you're running away from any one of those four things, the house is coming down. The foundation that you're built on isn't solid enough. It's in the sand and the house is coming down. Men, I'm speaking directly to you right now. If you're not in accountability, get you some accountability. And I'm not talking about the people who will tell you what you want to hear. I'm talking about the people who will tell you what you need to hear. The people that will tell you, you need to repent and go ask your wife for forgiveness when you don't want to. The people who say, you probably need to go talk to your pastor because that's a problem that's going to be bigger than you can handle real fast and you need to get some counsel and some help and seek guidance. You need to stop acting like a fool. Now I say men, it's, it's for everybody, but I don't really have to point it out to women and this is just the honest truth and it doesn't mean I'm a feminist. I just know women already have that with one another. And they do a really good job at it because they're more apt to share their feelings because in men's lives, what do we want to do? Oh, everything's good, man. I make $40 an hour and I'm the CEO. Yeah, it's good. It's awesome. But deep down inside, it's not good. It's not awesome. You're hurting, you're struggling, and we don't want to ask for help because we're afraid of what everybody's going to think. That's not living as a worthy citizen of the gospel. That's not living as a courageous citizen of the gospel. And you sure as heck aren't being a willing participant in the gospel when you're living like that. Number three, gospel citizenship requires believers to be content in Christ. Philippians 3.8 says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but do, sorry, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He counts everything loss and says everything is dung. If you don't know what dung is, see Brother Aaron and he'll explain it to you afterwards. I'm just glad I got to say that in the pulpit too. I'm not even going to lie. It just tickled my heart. That's how immature I am. (laughs) Counts it all as loss. Paul was a highly trained Pharisee. He was loved by the other Pharisees, even so much that they sent him out to take out the rest of the Christians. He was well trained by rabbis and he had dual citizenship. This guy was awesome by every sense of the word according to the world. And all of that and any success that he even had in the gospel of spreading the gospel and planting churches in Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae, all of it, everything, except for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. All of it. He said it was nothing. It was useless. It was dung. Man, that's awesome. You're suffering in your life. There are difficulties in your life. You have a lot on this hand and you have a little bit on this hand. It doesn't matter where you're at in between. You could have it all or you could have nothing. But if God was to do you like he did Job, and all you had left was your Bible, your church, your relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's it. No clothes, no home, no money, no wife, no kids, no cows, no cars, no nothing. Would Jesus Christ be enough? 
And of course, we all look at each other right now. I see the looks on your faces. You see the look on my face. We all want to say, yes, Jesus would be enough. Christ is always enough. But brothers and sisters, we don't live like Christ is enough. And that's just human beings. If you live like Christ is enough and I'm wrong, praise God and come and tell me, not so that I can, you know, be wrong or whatever, but because I want to follow after you if you, because I have a hard time doing that sometimes. When my kids are making mistake after mistake after mistake, and all I can see is if I was a better dad in the beginning, they wouldn't make those mistakes. When me and my wife don't know what to do about this situation or that situation, and I can't see Christ and I can't value Christ because all I can think about is what's happening and how do I make her happy? How do I make me happy? In those moments, Christ isn't enough. Are we going to be content in Christ? I pray that for our church. I pray that we will learn how to be content in Christ. And the last point. Gospel citizenship requires believers to be dependent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul says he can do all things through Christ, which strengthens him. Not all things, you know, Cade, don't go to the gym and think that you can bench press 550 pounds because Christ strengthens you because you're going to have a crushed windpipe, Right? that's not what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying is you can suffer or you can have it all or you can have a little or you can have a lot. You can be healed or you can be broken and you can do it because Christ strengthens you. You can count everything for loss because Christ strengthens you. You can live worthy of the gospel citizenship that you've been called because Christ strengthens you. You can be courageous in the gospel because Christ strengthens you. You can be willing and obedient in the gospel because Christ strengthens you. You can trust God because Christ strengthens you. You can grow in your relationship with God and in your faith because Christ strengthens you. And you can be content in Him because He strengthens you. And you can be dependent upon Christ because Christ strengthens you. I'll close with this. The biggest enemy of worthy, courageous, and willing gospel citizenship, it's not Satan. It's not the Arminians. It's not the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not the Catholic. It's not even close to the Muslims. We can't blame the government, city, state, or national. We can't blame political parties that control the Hill. And it sure as heck isn't the President of the United States. Who then? Who's the biggest enemy of gospel citizenship? Who's the biggest enemy of us living worthy, courageous, and willingly? Brothers and sisters, it's me and you. It's us. We sabotage our own selves, and here's why. It's the self-destructive, self-help movement. 
right? You can do it. Do whatever your heart makes you, makes you happy. Do whatever, uh, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Follow your gut. When I was in the military, there was a, not, not my psychologist personal, but my friend who was seeing a psychologist, he was having a bunch of issues. And one of the issues and one of the symptoms that he was experiencing because of the things that he had been through is that he was being promiscuous. And the doctor told him, be promiscuous if that's what makes you happy, because if that's what gets you out of this rut, then I want you to do that. That's my commercial for biblical counseling because you ain't going to hear that in me and Brother Lewis's office. You know, man, I can't, like even as a non-believer, when I heard that, I was like, what the heck? Like I even knew that was bad as a non-believer. Like I don't even want to know if I was a believer what, how I would have reacted to that in that moment. It's because we lack dependence on Jesus Christ. That's the biggest enemy of us living willingly, courageously, and worthy of the gospel. We think too much of ourselves. We depend too much on ourselves. We want too much for ourselves. So I urge us as the body of Christ to live in the kingdom of God, not of the earth, but on the earth, in a way that is worthy, courageous, and willing. And we can only do that when we fully trust in God, when we seek to grow in our faith, when we are content in Christ, and we are fully dependent on Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it can pierce our hearts. God, I pray that as a church that we would live worthy and willing and courageous in the gospel, that we would be bold, that we would be, that we would be just in love with you that we would forget ourselves, that we would be totally and utterly dependent upon you and only you. I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to count it as dung and as loss so that we could be content in your son, Jesus Christ, and in the work that he did for us on the cross. God, we love you so much, and we, we need you. We need you because we can't do it on our own. If we were left to our own, Lord, we would depend on ourselves. We would think too highly of ourselves. We would justify our sinful behaviors. God, help us to be gospel citizens. Help us to love you wholeheartedly. I say this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.